Welcome to Bite at a Time Books, where we read you your favorite classics one bite at a time. My name is Brie Carlisle, and I love to read and wanted to share my passion with listeners like you. If you want to know what's coming next and vote on upcoming books, sign up for our newsletter at biteatatimebooks.com. You'll also find our new t-shirts in the shop, including podcast shirts and quote shirts from your favorite classic novels. Be sure to follow my show on your favorite podcast platform so you get all the new episodes. You can find most of our links in the show notes. But also our website, biteatatimebooks.com, includes all of the links for our show, including to our Patreon to support the show, and YouTube, where we have special behind-the-narration of the episodes. We're part of the Bite at a Time Books Productions Network. If you'd also like to hear what inspired your favorite classic authors to write their novels— and what was going on in the world at the time, check out the Bite at a Time books behind the story podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Please note, while we try to keep the text as close to the original as possible, some words have been changed to honor the marginalized communities who've identified the words as harmful and to stay in alignment with Bite at a Time books' brand values. Today we'll be continuing Little Men by Louisa May Alcott. Chapter 11. Uncle Teddy For a week, Dan only moved from bed to sofa. A long week and a hard one, for the hurt foot was very painful at times. The quiet days were very wearisome to the active lad, longing to be out enjoying the summer weather, and especially difficult was it to be patient. But Dan did his best, and everyone helped him in their various ways— So the time passed, and he was rewarded at last by hearing the doctor say on Saturday morning, "'This foot is doing better than I expected. Give the lad the crutch this afternoon and let him stump about the house a little.' "'Hooray!' shouted Nat and raced away to tell the other boys the good news. Everyone was very glad, and after dinner the whole flock assembled to behold Dan crutch himself up and down the hall a few times, before he settled in the porch to hold a sort of levee." He was much pleased at the interest and goodwill shown him, and brightened up more and more every minute, for the boys came to pay their respects. The little girls fussed about him with stools and cushions, and Teddy watched over him as if he was a frail creature unable to do anything for himself. They were still sitting and standing about the steps when a carriage stopped at the gate. A hat was waved from it, and with a shout of Uncle Teddy, Uncle Teddy, Rob scampered down the avenue as fast as his short legs would carry him. All the boys but Dan ran after him to see who should be first to open the gate, and in a moment the carriage drove up with boys swarming all over it, while Uncle Teddy sat laughing in the midst with his little daughter on his knee. "'Stop the triumphal car and let Jupiter descend,' he said." and jumping out, ran up the steps to meet Mrs. Bear, who stood smiling and clapping her hands like a girl. How goes it, Teddy? All right, Joe. Then they shook hands, and Mr. Lorry put Bess into her aunt's arms, saying as the child hugged her tight, Goldilocks wanted to see you so much that I ran away with her, for I was quite pining for a sight of you myself. We want to play with your boys for an hour or so and to see how the old woman who lived in a shoe and had so many children she did not know what to do is getting on. I'm so glad. Play away and don't get into mischief, answered Mrs. Joe, as the lads crowded round the pretty child admiring her long golden hair, dainty dress and lofty ways for the little princess as they called her, 
allowed no one to kiss her, but sat smiling down upon them, and graciously patting their heads with her little white hands. They all adored her, especially Rob, who considered her a sort of doll and dared not touch her lest she should break, but worshipped her at a respectful distance, made happy by an occasional mark of favor from her little highness. As she immediately demanded to see Daisy's kitchen, she was borne off by Mrs. Joe with a train of small boys following. The others, all but Nat and Demi, ran away to the menagerie and gardens to have all in order, for Mr. Lorry always took a general survey and looked disappointed if things were not flourishing. Standing on the steps, he turned to Dan, saying like an old acquaintance, though he had only seen him once or twice before, "'How's the foot?' "'Better, sir.' "'Rather tired of the house, aren't you?' "'Yes, I am.' And Dan's eyes roved away to the green hills and woods where he longed to be. "'Suppose we take a little turn before the others come back. That big, easy carriage will be quite safe and comfortable.' and a breath of fresh air will do you good. Get a cushion and a shawl, Demi, and let's carry Dan off. The boys thought it a capital joke, and Dan looked delighted but asked with an unexpected burst of virtue, Will Mrs. Bear like it? Oh yes, we settled all that a minute ago. You didn't say anything about it, so I don't see how you could, said Demi inquisitively. We have a way of sending messages to one another, without any words, it is a great improvement on the telegraph. I know its eyes, and I saw you lift your eyebrows and nod toward the carriage, and Mrs. Bear laughed and nodded back again, cried Nat, who was quite at ease with kind Mr. Lorry by this time. Right, now them, come on. And in a minute, Dan found himself settled in the carriage, his foot on a cushion on the seat opposite, nicely covered with a shawl which fell down from the upper regions in a most mysterious manner, just when they wanted it. Demi climbed up to the box beside Peter, the black coachman. Nat sat next to Dan in the place of honor while Uncle Teddy would sit opposite, to take care of the foot, he said, but really that he might study the faces before him, both so happy yet so different, for Dan's was square and brown and strong, while Nat's was long and fair and rather weak, but very amiable with its mild eyes and good forehead. "'By the way, I've got a book somewhere here that you may like to see,' said the oldest boy of the party, diving under the seat and producing a book which made Dan exclaim, "'Oh, by George, isn't that a stunner?' as he turned the leaves and saw fine plates of butterflies and birds, and every sort of interesting insect colored like their life." He was so charmed that he forgot his thanks, but Mr. Lorry did not mind and was quite satisfied to see the boy's eager delight and to hear this exclamations over certain old friends as he came to them. Nat leaned on his shoulder to look and Demi turned his back to the horses and let his feet dangle inside the carriage so that he might join in the conversation. When they got among the beetles, Mr. Lorry took a curious little object out of his vest pocket and laying it in the palm of his hand said, there's a beetle that is thousands of years old. And then while the lads examined the queer stone bug that looked so old and gray, he told them how it came out of the wrappings of a mummy after lying for ages in a famous tomb. Finding them interested, he went on to tell them about the Egyptians and the strange and splendid ruins they have left behind them in the Nile. And how he sailed up the mighty river with the handsome dark men to work his boat, how he shot alligators, 
saw wonderful beasts and birds, and afterwards crossed the desert on a camel who pitched him about like a ship in a storm. Uncle Teddy tells stories most as well as Grandpa, said Demi approvingly, when the tale was done and the boy's eyes asked for more. Thank you, said Mr. Lorry quite soberly, for he considered Demi's praise worth having, for children are good critics in such cases, and to suit them is an accomplishment that anyone may be proud of. Here's another trifle or two that I tucked into my pocket as I was turning over my traps to see if I had anything that would amuse Dan. And Uncle Teddy produced a fine arrowhead and a string of wampum. Oh, tell about the Indians, cried Demi, who was fond of playing wigwam. Dan knows lots about them, added Nat. More than I do, I dare say. Tell us something. Mr. Lorry looked as interested as the other two. Hyde told me he's been among them and can talk their talk and likes them, began Dan, flattered by their attention, but rather embarrassed by having a grown-up listener. What is wampum for? asked Curious Demi from his perch. The others asked questions likewise, and before he knew it, Dan was reeling off all Mr. Hyde had told him, as they sailed down the river a few weeks before. Mr. Lorry listened well, but found the boy more interesting than the Indians, for Mrs. Joe had told him about Dan, and he rather took a fancy to the wild lad, who ran away as he himself had often longed to do, and who was slowly getting tamed by pain and patience. I've been thinking that it would be a good plan for you fellows to have a museum of your own, a place in which to collect all the curious and interesting things that you find and make and have given to you. Mrs. Joe is too kind to complain, but it is rather hard for her to have the house littered up with all sorts of rattle traps. Have a pint of door bugs and one of her best vases, for instance. A couple of dead bats nailed up in the back entry. Wasps' nests tumbling down on people's heads and stones lying round everywhere, enough to pave the avenue. There are not many women who would stand that sort of thing, are there now? As Mr. Lorry spoke with a merry look in his eyes... The boys laughed and nudged one another, for it was evident that someone told tales out of school, else how could he know of the existence of these inconvenient treasures? Where can we put them then? said Demi, crossing his legs and leaning down to argue the question. In the old carriage house. But it leaks and there isn't any window, nor any place to put things, and it's all dust and cobwebs, began Nat. Wait till Gibbs and I have touched it up a bit, and then see how you like it. He's to come over on Monday to get it ready. Then next Saturday, I shall come out and we will fix it up and make the beginning, at least, of a fine little museum. Everyone can bring his things and have a place for them, and Dan is to be the head man because he knows most about such matters, and it will be quiet, pleasant work for him now that he can't knock about that much. Won't that be jolly? cried Nat. Well, Dan smiled all over his face and had not a word to say, but hugged his book and looked at Mr. Lorry as if he thought him one of the greatest public benefactors that ever blessed the world. Shall I go round again, sir? asked Peter as they came to the gate after two slow turns about the half-mile triangle. No, we must be prudent, else we can't come again. I must go over the premises, take a look at the carriage house, and have a little talk with Mrs. Joe before I go. And having deposited Dan on his sofa to rest and enjoy his book, Uncle Teddy went off to have a frolic with the lads who were ravaging about the place in search of him, leaving the little girls to mess upstairs. 
Mrs. Bear sat down by Dan and listened to his eager account of his drive till the flock returned, dusty, warm, and much excited about the new museum, which everyone considered the most brilliant idea of the age. I always wanted to endow some sort of an institution, and I'm going to begin with this, said Mr. Lorry, sitting down on a stool at Mrs. Joe's feet. You have endowed one already. What do you call this? And Mrs. Joe pointed to the happy-faced lads who had camped upon the floor about him. I call it a very promising bear garden, and I'm proud to be a member of it. Did you know I was the head boy in this school? He asked, turning to Dan and changing the subject skillfully, for he hated to be thanked for the generous things he did. I thought Franz was, answered Dan, wondering what the man meant. Oh dear no, I'm the first boy Mrs. Joe ever had to take care of, and I was such a bad one that she hasn't done with me yet, though she's been working at me for years and years. How old she must be, said Nat innocently. She began early, you see. Poor thing, she was only fifteen when she took me, and I led her such a life, it's a wonder she isn't wrinkled and gray and quite worn out. And Mr. Lorry looked up at her laughing. Don't, Teddy, I won't have you abuse yourself so. And Mrs. Joe stroked the curly black head at her knee, as affectionately as ever, for in spite of everything, Teddy was her boy still. If it hadn't been for you, there never would have been a plum field. It was my success with you, sir, that gave me courage to try my pet plan, so the boys may thank you for it and name the new institution the Lawrence Museum in honor of its founder. Won't we, boys? She added, looking very like the lively Joe of old times. We will, we will, shouted the boys, throwing up their hats. For though they had taken them off on entering the house according to rule, they had been in too much of a hurry to hang them up. I'm as hungry as a bear. Can't I have a cookie? asked Mr. Lorry when the shout subsided and he had expressed his thanks by a splendid bow. Trot out and ask Asia for the gingerbread box, Dimmy. It isn't in order to eat between meals, but on this joyful occasion we won't mind and have a cookie all round, said Mrs. Joe. And when the box came, she dealt them out with a liberal hand, everyone munching away in a social circle. Suddenly, in the midst of a bite, Mr. Lorry cried out, Bless my heart, I forgot Grandma's bundle and running out to the carriage, returned with an interesting white parcel, which, being opened, disclosed a choice collection of beasts, birds, and pretty things cut out of crisp sugary cake and baked a lovely brown. There's one for each and a letter to tell which is whose. Grandma and Hannah made them, and I tremble to think what would have happened to me if I'd forgotten to leave them. Then, amid much laughing and fun, the cakes were distributed. A fish for Dan a fiddle for Nat, a book for Demi, a money for Tommy, a flower for Daisy, a hoop for Nan, who had driven twice round the triangle without stopping, a star for Emile, who put on airs because he studied astronomy, and best of all, an omnibus for Franz, whose great delight was to drive the family bus. Stuffy got a fat pig, and the little folks had birds and cats and rabbits with black currant eyes. Now I must go. Where is my Goldilocks? Mama will come flying out to get her if I'm not back early, said Uncle Teddy, when the last crumb had vanished, which it speedily did, you may be sure. The young ladies had gone into the garden, and while they waited till Franz looked them up, Joe and Lori stood at the door talking together. How does little giddy-gaddy come on? he asked, for Nan's pranks amused him very much, 
and he was never tired of teasing Joe about her. Nicely, she is getting quite mannerly and begins to see the error of her wild ways. Don't the boys encourage her in them? Yes, but I keep talking, and lately she has improved much. You saw how prettily she shook hands with you and how gentle she was with Bess. Daisy's example has its effect upon her, and I'm quite sure that a few months will work wonders. Here, Mrs. Joe's remarks were cut short by the appearance of Nan tearing around the corner at a breakneck pace, driving a meddlesome team of four boys and followed by Daisy trundling Bess in a wheelbarrow. Hat off, hair flying, whip cracking, and barrow bumping, up they came in a cloud of dust, looking as wild a set of little hoydens as one would wish to see. So these are the model children, are they? It's lucky I didn't bring Mrs. Curtis out to see your school for the cultivation of morals and manners. She would never have recovered from the shock of this spectacle, said Mr. Lorry, laughing at Mrs. Joe's premature rejoicing over Nan's improvement. Laugh away, I'll succeed yet, as you used to say at college, quoting some professor. Though the experiment has failed, the principle remains the same, said Mrs. Bear, joining in the merriment. I'm afraid Nan's example is taking effect upon Daisy instead of the other way. Look at my little princess. She has utterly forgotten her dignity and is screaming like the rest. Young ladies, what does this mean? And Mr. Lorry rescued his small daughter from impending destruction. For the four horses were champing their bits and curvetting madly all about her as she sat brandishing a great whip in both hands. We're having a race and I beat, shouted Nan. I could have run faster, only I was afraid of spilling Bess, screamed Daisy. Hi, go long, cried the princess, giving such a flourish with her whip that the horses ran away and were seen no more. My precious child, come away from this ill-mannered crew before you're quite spoiled. Goodbye, Joe. Next time I come, I shall expect to find the boys making patchwork. It wouldn't hurt them a bit. I don't give in, mind you, for my experiments always fail a few times before they succeed. Love to Amy and my blessed Marmy, called Mrs. Joe as the carriage drove away. And the last Mr. Lorry saw of her, she was consoling Daisy for her failure by a ride in the wheelbarrow, and looking as if she liked it. Great was the excitement all the week about the repairs in the carriage house, which went briskly on in spite of the incessant questions, advice, and meddling of the boys. Old Gibbs was nearly driven wild with it all, but managed to do his work nevertheless, and by Friday night the place was all in order. Roof mended, shelves up, walls whitewashed, a great window cut at the back, which led in a flood of sunshine and gave them a fine view of the brook, the meadows, and the distant hills, and over the great door painted in red letters was the Lawrence Museum. All Saturday morning the boys were planning how it should be furnished with their spoils, and when Mr. Lorry arrived, bringing an aquarium which Mrs. Amy said she was tired of, their rapture was great. The afternoon was spent in arranging things, and when the running and lugging and hammering was over, the ladies were invited to behold the institution. It certainly was a pleasant place. Airy, clean, and bright, a hop vine shook its green bells round the open window. The pretty aquarium stood in the middle of the room with some delicate water plants rising above the water, and goldfish showing their brightness as they floated to and fro below. On either side of the window were rows of shelves ready to receive the curiosities yet to be found. Dan's tall cabinet stood before the great door which was fastened up while the small door was to be used. 
On the cabinet stood a queer Indian idol. Very ugly, but very interesting. Old Mr. Lawrence sent it, as well as a fine Chinese junk in full sail, which had a conspicuous place on the long table in the middle of the room. Above, swinging in a loop and looking as if she was alive, hung Polly, who died at an advanced age, had been carefully stuffed and was now presented by Mrs. Joe. The walls were decorated with all sorts of things. A snake's skin, a big wasp's nest, a birch bark canoe, a string of bird's eggs, wreaths of gray moss from the south, and a bunch of cotton pods. The dead bats had a place, also a large turtle shell, and an ostrich egg proudly presented by Demi, who volunteered to explain these rare curiosities to guests whenever they liked. There were so many stones that it was impossible to accept them all, so only a few of the best were arranged among the shells on the shelves. The rest were piled up in corners to be examined by Dan at his leisure. Everyone was eager to give something. Even Silas, who sent home for a stuffed wildcat killed in his youth. It was rather moth-eaten and shabby, but on a high bracket and best side, foremost the effect was fine, for the yellow glass eyes glared and the mouth snarled so naturally that Teddy shook in his little shoes at sight of it when he came bringing his most cherished treasure, one cocoon to lay upon the Shrine of Science. "'Isn't it beautiful? I'd no idea we had so many curious things. I gave that.' Don't it look well? We might make a lot by charging something for letting folks see it. Jack added that last suggestion to the general chatter that went on as the family viewed the room. This is a free museum, and if there's any speculating on it, I'll paint out the name over the door, said Mr. Lorry, turning so quickly that Jack wished he had held his tongue. Here, here, cried Mr. Bear. Speech, speech, added Mrs. Joe. Can't, I'm too bashful. You give them a lecture yourself, you're used to it, Mr. Lorry answered, retreating towards the window, meaning to escape. But she held him fast and said laughing as she looked at the dozen pairs of dirty hands about her, if I did lecture, it would be on the chemical and cleansing properties of soap. Come now, as the founder of the institution, you really ought to give us a few moral remarks and we will applaud them tremendously. Seeing that there was no way of escaping, Mr. Lorry looked up at Polly hanging overhead, seemed to find inspiration in the brilliant old bird, and sitting down upon the table said in his pleasant way, "'There's one thing I'd like to suggest, boys, and that is I want you to get some good as well as much pleasure out of this. Just putting curious or pretty things here won't do it, so suppose you read up about them.' so that when anybody asks questions, you can answer them and understand the matter. I used to like these things myself and should enjoy hearing about them now, for I've forgotten all I once knew. It wasn't much, was it, Joe? Here's Dan now, full of stories about birds and bugs and so on. Let him take care of the museum, and once a week the rest of you take turns to read a composition, or tell about some animal, mineral, or vegetable. We should all like that, and I think it would put considerable useful knowledge into our heads. What do you say, Professor? I like it much, and will give the lads all the help I can. But they will need books to read up these new subjects, and we have not many, I fear, began Mr. Bear, looking much pleased, planning many fine lectures on geology which he liked. We should have a library for the special purpose. Is that a useful sort of book, Dan? asked Mr. Lorry, pointing to the volume that lay open by the cabinet. Oh, yes, it tells all I want to know about insects. 
I had it here to see how to fix the butterflies right. I covered it so it's not hurt. And Dan caught it up, fearing the lender might think him careless. Give it here a minute. And pulling out his pencil, Mr. Lorry wrote Dan's name on it, saying as he set the book up on one of the corner shelves, where nothing stood but a stuffed bird without a tail. There. That is the beginning of the museum library. I'll hunt up some more books, and Demi shall keep them in order. Where are those jolly little books we used to read, Joe? Insect architecture, some such name. All about ants having battles and bees having queens and crickets eating holes in our clothes and stealing milk and larks of that sort. In the garret at home. I'll have them sent out, and we will plunge into natural history with a will, said Mrs. Joe, ready for anything. Won't it be hard to write about such things? Asked Nat, who hated compositions. At first, perhaps. But you will soon like it. If you think that hard, how would you like to have this subject given to you as it was to a girl of thirteen? A conversation between Themistocles, Aristides, and Pericles on the proposed appropriation of funds of the Confederacy of Delos for the ornamentation of Athens, said Mrs. Joe. The boys groaned at the mere sound of the long names, and the gentlemen laughed at the absurdity of the lesson. Did she write it? asked Demi in an awestricken tone. Yes, but you can imagine what a piece of work she make of it. Though she was rather a bright child. I'd like to have seen it, said Mr. Bear. Perhaps I can find it for you. I went to school with her. And Mrs. Joe looked so wicked that everyone knew who the little girl was. Hearing of this fearful subject for a composition quite reconciled the boys to the thought of writing about familiar things. Wednesday afternoon was appointed for the lectures, as they preferred to call them, for some chose to talk instead of write. Mr. Bear promised a portfolio in which the written production should be kept, and Mrs. Bear said she would attend the course with great pleasure. And the dirty-handed society went off the wash, followed by the professor trying to calm the anxiety of Rob, who had been told by Tommy that all water was full of invisible pollywogs. I like your plan very much. Only don't be too generous, Teddy, said Mrs. Bear when they were left alone. You know most of the boys have got to paddle their own canoes when they leave us, and too much sitting in the lap of luxury will unfit them for it. I'll be moderate, but do let me amuse myself. I get desperately tired of business sometimes, and nothing freshens me up like a good frolic with your boys. I like that Dan very much, Joe. He isn't demonstrative, but he has the eye of a hawk, and when you've tamed him a little, he'll do you credit. I'm glad you think so. Thank you very much for your kindness to him, especially for this museum affair. It will keep him happy while he is lame. Give me a chance to soften and smooth this poor rough lad, and make him love us. What did inspire you with such a beautiful, helpful idea, Teddy? asked Mrs. Bear, glancing back at the pleasant room as she turned to leave it. Lori took both her hands in his, and answered with a look that made her eyes fill with happy tears. Dear Joe, I have known what it is to be a motherless boy, and I never can forget how much you and yours have done for me all these years. Thank you for joining Bite at a Time Books today. While well, we read a bite of one of your favorite classics. Again, my name is Brie Carlisle, and I hope you come back tomorrow for the next bite of Little Men. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at biteatatimebooks.com and check out the shop. 
You can check out the show notes or our website, biteatatimebooks.com, for the rest of the links for our show. We'd love to hear from you on social media as well.